Welcome to Mosaic Podcasts. We hope you enjoy the following recording from Mosaic Church Leeds, based in the United Kingdom. For more podcasts and information on Mosaic Church, please visit mosaic-church.org.uk. Thank you for listening. So when Jesus had again crossed over in the boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered round him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue rulers named Cyrus, named Jairus came there. Seeing Jesus, he fell at his feet and pleaded earnestly with him. My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. And then moving to 35. When Jesus was still speaking, some men came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Ignoring them, Jesus said, Jesus told the synagogue ruler, don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him apart from Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the house of the synagogue ruler, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, why all the commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After he had put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in to where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha Kumi, which means, little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately, the girl stood up and walked around. She was 12 years old. And at this, they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone else know about this and told them to give her something to eat. Thank you, India. Brilliant. What a story. I'm going to pray, and then me and Emma are going to try and unpack the story and share some thoughts on parenting this morning um, and how we as a church can see our children grow and know Jesus. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your Bible. Thank you so much that it is your living word to us. And this morning as we look at this story, look at a few other scriptures that we ask God, please, would it feed us? Would it be like um, spiritual bread to us? And I ask God as we listen, please, would, your, your, um, would you speak to us? May, may, may our hearts and our ears be ready to hear from you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I thought I'd introduce uh, Emma and I and my family through a nice little holiday shot. We got it, Chris? How are we getting on? Um, So it's me and Emma, as you can tell. And then we have Caleb, Caitlin, and Lydia. And um, parenting for Emma and I has been um, an amazing mix of challenge and joy, a load of different emotions. And feels as we've come to God with our parenting. He has taught us and grown us, and we've learned so much about ourselves and each other, our children, and also God himself. And um, it's quite a journey. You see, as soon as a child is born, a parent's anxiety around their well-being is born alongside it. The first few strange nights, you're asking, is my baby breathing? We worry whether they're feeding properly, whether they're gaining weight, whether their life is going to be ruined if we give them formula milk. We worry how to wean them, baby-led weaning or puree. And then we worry if they're eating enough or they're eating enough fruit and vegetables or eating too many fruit winders or crisps. 
We worry about their development. They're not rolling or sitting up or crawling or walking or running before they get to a certain age. When we look around, we think everyone else's parent, uh, child is doing what my child is not yet. We worry about potty training, whether they're going to forever be having accidents in school. We worry about them being left in nursery. We worry about them being left in school, whether they're going to have any friends, and whether the friends they do have are going to be a good influence. We worry if they're doing too many extracurricular activities, or even if they're doing enough. We worry if they have too much screen time. Or we worry if we ban them, are they going to be ostracized in a technology-developed world? We worry if they do enough homework. The homework they do, is it going to be acceptable? We worry about have, if they're having a childhood. We worry about the independence we give them. When should they have their ears pierced? What, how are they going to react when the world introduces them to drugs, sex, and rock and roll. Some of us have lived and are living with fears of a sick child, or a child in trouble with the police, or a child who has gone missing. We worry they are unhappy, and ultimately, they're going to discover we live in a broken world, and we don't know how they're going to react. Anyone identify with any of that? Or is it just Emma and I? When faced with these worries, what parents do is they go to uh, parenting books or online forums. And these, um, or perhaps they just compare themselves to the other parents they know. And there seem to be so many different views, so many conflicting answers. And very few of these answers give you concrete kind of ways to change your behavior. We turn to these places because at the heart, we want to do a really good job. Yet... At the next turn, there will be another worry. And as I, as I and Emma share this morning, we want to call you to something we're calling fearless parenting. It's parenting where we position ourselves before God, before the perfect love of our Heavenly Father, which casts out fear. And it leads us to pray it leads us to point our children toward Jesus, and it leads us to put Jesus first in our own lives. You see, look through the Gospels. Jesus is very little about parenting. He doesn't give an opinion on attachment parenting or controlled crying, on state school or private school, on how much screen time is okay. So we're going to look at a guy called Jairus. He was a synagogue ruler. A story was read to us by India. And we're going to see he is just like us. A parent with fear for the situation of his child. So what do we see in the story? We see a man on his knees, desperate for Jesus to do something. To do anything for his dying daughter. Jairus is a man of status in the community. He is respected. He's powerful. And he's a parent, a parent of a girl who, as we read on a little later, is literally on her deathbed. Jairus can do nothing in his power to solve his parenting trouble. So he finds Jesus and sees if Jesus can do anything. Because there is this new rabbi in town, 
a rabbi with a growing, ex, uh, growing um, reputation for extraordinary, extraordinary things. Jesus has just got off a boat. He's got a crowd around him. And Jairus cuts through the crowd and falls on his knees and says to Jesus, and what does Jesus do? If I was a busy man like Jesus, I'm going to preach to a crowd. And someone came and got on their knees and started begging. I'd be like, just wait. I've got a message to share. I've been preparing all night. But Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus hears him. It's what Jesus has been doing for millennia. He hears people who are at the end of themselves. Hears people who are desperately in need. And they can't find in their own situation the answer to their problem. So as Jairus comes to Jesus, we must see as a church, Jesus hears. And he makes Jairus his absolute priority. You see that in the story. He stops what he's doing. He stops preaching to the crowd. And he goes with Jairus. The verses that India didn't read, if you were following in the Bible, Jesus has an encounter with a lady who's been bleeding. And um, she touches his cloak. And he realizes power's gone out from him. And this lady gets healed in the moment as she touches Jesus. And it's an amazing story. We're not going to cover it. And once that's all happened, then Jairus goes to the house of this um, synagogue ruler. You see... He's just like us. He's a mere human, needing God to break into the bubble. If you need a miracle today, as a person, not just a parent, if you need a miracle today, be comforted. We have a God who hears and a God who is able to do extraordinary things. So as we see Jesus here, we also see him speak. We see him speak to fear. While Jesus was still speaking, this is just um, before he goes to his house, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. That, Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, don't be afraid, just believed. Because when Jairus left his home, his daughter was sick. He's got word now his daughter is dead. Jesus speaks to the fear in Jairus' heart. He says, don't be afraid, believe. Believe in what? I imagine Jesus saying, believe in me, believe in what I can do, believe what I can do, the reason you've come to me is going to happen. And then he speaks to unbelief. He finds himself at a house where there's lots of wailing and commotion. And he puts the laughter of the people out of the house. You read on the screen, they laughed at him, saying that the child... Her, her death is not permanent. It says she's um, not dead, she's just asleep. What Jesus is saying there is she's not gone. There is chance for resurrection. They laughed at him. After he put them all out, I wonder how that happened. How did Jesus put them all out? He took the father's child and mother and the disciples who were with them and they went in to where the child was. He also unites a family here. The power of his word brings a family together. So where there is brokenness, where there is, uh, where there is need of restoration, that's what Jesus does. 
And we are to expect that's what he'd do. That faith would rise in the room that where there is brokenness in your family, in families of those you know, the power of the word of Jesus will come and unite them. And finally, he speaks to death. This must be one of my favorite verses in the Bible, favorite pairs of verses. He took her, his little girl, by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately, the girl stood up and began to walk around the room. She was around 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. Those in the room, mum and dad, the disciples, completely astonished. I am sure those who are outside in the crowd. Can I get an hallelujah for that story? Isn't that amazing what Jesus did in that story? You see, Emma and I aren't here to show you parenting Uh, our parenting is any better so follow us we aren't here to say we are the expert help so do what we do and you will be bob on we're here to lead you to Jesus the one in whom the one who made us the one who knows us the one whose word speaks powerfully and the one in whom there is such transforming power to deal with our situations and in particular as we look look this morning with fear, the fear we find in our lives and the fear in particular this morning surrounding parenting. And Jesus, uh, Jairus' encounter with Jesus gives us a chance to have an encounter with Jesus this morning. Emma. Like Jairus, our response to the overwhelming fear that we can feel for our children should be to go humbly to Jesus. We need to go to him, ask him, pray, plead earnestly like Jairus did. Because in fact, if we don't take our fears to Jesus, we're very likely to take our fears out on our own children. Because fear massively impacts on the way that we parent. And it can turn us into either paranoid or permissive parents. We're going to have a look at those two things a little bit more. Starting with paranoid parents. Paranoid parents are fearful of the world in which they're raising their children in. And so they try to shield their children from it, try to protect them from it, and stop them going out and exploring it. They believe that God has left it up to them to raise their children all on their own. They end up saying, I've got to shelter them. I've got to cover them. I've got to protect them. It's all about me. And deep down, it's fear that leads to this style of parenting. But I also believe that paranoid parenting can stop us from obeying God and miss out on what he has for us and our families. How many of us pray the prayer, God, use me in any way, but add the caveat, as long as it doesn't impact on my child's safety, education, opportunities or comfort. However, the truth is that God is our shelter and he's our children's shelter. Where we recognise this style of parenting in ourselves because of fear, we need this truth to hit our hearts. God is our children's shelter as well. Most of the parents in this room are raising children in the inner city and in a part of Leeds that's seen as deprived and in areas that actually many people feel nervous to even come into. And I think this can heighten our sense of paranoia for our children. I've had people ask me, don't I want to move to a nicer part of Leeds to raise my children? Don't I want to live near the best high schools? And someone once said to me, your kids are going to end up in a gang if you keep living here. Do I want to give my children the best opportunities I can? 
Of course I do. Do I want to keep them safe and protect them? Of course I do. But I believe that it's God that's going to do these things. And what I want most for them is for them to know Jesus and for them to run after him. Dan and I believe that this is where he has called us to be. And therefore, that calling is for our entire family. And we can trust God with our children. Church leader and author Max Lucado helpfully reminds parents, before they were yours, they were his. And even as they are yours, they are still his. I'll say that again. Before they were yours, they were his. And even as they are yours, they are still his. Knowing this truth means that we can trust him to look after them and provide for them in a way, in the same way that I trust him to look after me. And I also believe that our children have the opportunity to experience God in a different way by living in the inner city. Maybe they've already been exposed to suffering, which the world would say that they're too young for. And yet, because they're so young, they still come to me for an explanation about what they see. They listen and they believe me when I tell them that Jesus brings hope into the sad situations that they see. Because at the moment, I'm still the biggest influence in their life. And I wonder that if I sheltered them and they weren't exposed to brokenness until they were teenagers, would they be more likely to go to their friends and the social media for an explanation at that point? I remember when Caitlin had just started school and she came home and she'd tell us excitedly about the new friends that she'd made. And one day she came home and she told us that one of her friend's dad was in prison. And she didn't really understand this and asked us what this meant. And so it led to a conversation about that. And we talked to her about what that must be like for her friend and her friend's family. And we suggested that she prayed for her friend. And that evening, as Caitlin prayed for her friend, I saw in her a real compassion and an empathy that I pray will continue to be fostered in her as she grows and, yes, encounters more brokenness. I want her to understand suffering and her response to be one of compassion and a hope in God, who is a shelter, rather than having a response of fear or despair. So what can it look like when we take risks with our children for God and believe that God is their shelter too? Two families that are a massive inspiration to me who have been part of this gathering are the Cartledges and the Tidmarshes. The Cartledges moved to Miranda in September and the, and the Tidmarshes moved to Paris seven years ago to start, help be part of a church plant. They have both made decisions in their parenting based on what they believe God has asked for them. And actually, some of those decisions the world may say is irresponsible. I asked them how they've had to trust God with their children in the outworking of their decisions. And because they're not here, uh, Ellen and Jean are just going to um, speak their words for them. Ellen, do you want to speak first? This is Katie Cartledge. Or, or we'll do it the other way. <laughs> Sorry, we've got a photo. But you did. <laughs> So Katie said, um, I don't understand all the reasons why we're in France and sometimes I feel like we dragged our kids into something that was not going to be best for them. But the more time I spend here, the more I realise that God does not see us as individuals who are all separate. He sees us in our families and communities and he doesn't call one member to do something that the others cannot take. I do think that whether our children feel it or not, they also have a calling to be here and they are fully part of how we are able to bless our community. They probably do a much better job of it than we do, actually. 
When they're bigger, I will not be able to tell them that I didn't make any mistakes, but I do want to be able to tell them that I tried to put God first, and in doing so, hopefully put them a very close second. I keep telling God they're his children, and he has to provide for them, because I just can't all the time. I keep going back to this truth about his provision, and knowing the best way, whenever I feel like getting on a Eurostar back home, where it would be so much easier. Katie Cartledge says, when Isaac was four months old, we started hosting asylum seekers to the organisation Grace Hosting. We could have chosen to live out of fear and mistrust of these strangers in our house. And yes, bad things can happen. But we knew that if we lived in that place, we would live in a more sheltered and poorer existence. We chose at that point to always look for the best in people, be generous and trust people. I think lots of people, including my parents, found it hard to accept that we were having people to stay when we had such a young baby. But I think our children have gained so much through the relationships with the many people who have come through our home. They accept people and love them. They are comfortable around strangers. And I believe that are learning through this about the generosity of our God's heart. Okay, so we've had a look at the paranoid parent. And at the other end of the spectrum are permissive parents who fear to set boundaries for their children because actually they fear how their children are going to react. They're high on hugs and low on discipline. They indulge them and let them do whatever they want so they don't feel fenced in. In this place, we can almost become scared of our children. We're seeking their approval and sometimes going as far as to make them into an idol. We're fearful that they're going to reject us if we put too many boundaries in place for them. So how do we become the kind of parents that set firm boundaries for our children and yet trust God with them? How do we teach them about the freedom and discipline that we experience in our own relationship with God? How do we become fearless parents? We've got to know deeply the truth of God's acceptance of us. As we know that truth, we're not going to give in to fear of rejection. So, Let's look a little bit more at what the characteristics of fearless parents are. Number one, fearless parents are prayerful. There are many, many things about parenting that are hard. There are many situations we find ourselves in that we just don't know what to do. But this is one thing that we can do. We can all pray. We can all take our parenting fears to Jesus and stubbornly intercede for our children. We can pray around the breakfast table. We can pray on the way to school. We can pray on the way home from school. We can pray in the car. We can pray with our children and we can pray for them. Our first response when they come home and tell us about an issue that's going on for them can be, okay, let's pray about it. And when they're hurt, we can say, let's pray for healing. And when, in the middle of the night, we're overcome by fear for our child, we can go into their room and pray over them whilst they're asleep. As well as fearless parents being prayerful, fearless parents are to point our children to follow Jesus. Because although we do have a responsibility to make sure they are fed and watered, educated and kind of growing in their lives, our main responsibility is that they would bring them up to know God. And surely we hope that this is where we can put most of our energy. But sometimes, Emma and I are too busy making the house tidy for them. That's less me and more Emma. 
ferrying them around, doing different activities, doing homework with them, than Dan having time to pray with them or read the Bible with them or just take time with them to see if God wants to say anything. I want our main purpose in the way we care for our children and to be, so we kind of give time so that they may become men and women of faith who don't look to the world to define who they are or what they should be, but they look to God. And I appreciate that when we hear about this responsibility to lead our children to Jesus, it can bring a whole new pile of fears when suddenly we feel the pressure of teaching our children about God. And it is hard because he is pretty awesome and there's a lot to learn. You have that moment, though, right in the middle when you're doing something that you think is really important. When your child comes in and pipes up, uh, Dad, does God love everyone no matter what they've done? And panic sets in at this point because you think, this is it. This is my moment. This answer defines whether they're going to follow God or not. Emma and I, we've got we have got good intentions as we parent. We ask one of them to pray before a meal. And it's really lovely to see their enthusiasm as who gets to do it. But then one of them prays, God, please help the people who have the Holy Spirit. And you wonder, uh-oh. And it turns out they just confused the Holy Spirit with the hurricane that hit Haiti recently. And we do family devotions with our kids after meals. And sometimes they're great. Sometimes they're not. The children often would rather um, engage by reading, a, reading something so their voice is heard rather than reading something that they can engage with who God is. But we are dreamers. We're idealists. We want to keep leading our children to Jesus. And we want to keep finding different ways that would do that. We pray with our children every night. Sometimes the simplest prayers bring tears to our eyes. Sometimes it's awkward and hard work. And if I'm honest, some of the nights I think, oh, I just want to get this over with so I can sit down and have a drink. Maybe an example of this would go like this. Do you want to pray? No. Shall I pray for you? Okay. What would you like to thank um, God for? Uh, I don't know. How about the lovely time you've had with your grandma and grandpa today? Okay. What else do you like to pray for? The cat. Okay. Dear God, thank you for a lovely time with grandma and grandpa. And please look after the cat. Amen. Amen. It's sometimes like that. That's hardly a profound spiritual experience that I'm hoping for for my children. But I'm so glad that God is gracious. God is a heavenly father in And he is hugely welcoming of any prayer, of any conversation toward him. And I know that even those tiny little moments of prayer, God sees and is welcoming our children's kind of focus toward him. He loves it when we pray, even those small ones. And I really believe God can work through us as parents. We take the responsibility for the small things and for the big things. We take them seriously. And I want to learn how to teach my children more about God. Not just about God, but give them experience of him. 
I want my children to know God in a way that is exciting and relevant. And nothing the world can offer can come close to what the life we have in him. I want my children to learn to hear God and learn to share him with others. And I want to ask you a question that I want to give you a minute to think about and talk about. What do you dream of for your children? You write a a list of of wish lists of, I want this for my child, relating to them knowing God. What would it be? What do you dream of for your children? And if you don't yet have children, you're in this church. What do you dream of for all our children in Mosaic? So I'm going to give you a minute. Just chat to the person next to you. Have a think. If you can't come up with anything, don't worry. But I just wanted to just get you thinking the answers to that question. Um, so I'm going to draw us back together. I've given you very little time to talk about a very large question. And my hope is, not only would you listen to me for the rest of the time I'm talking, my, my hope is that question, if your parents, catalyzes some, so a question that carries on. And secondly, if you're not a parent, it gets you thinking of how can you help us as parents lead our children to Jesus. So number one, fearless parents pray. Secondly, fearless parents point their children to Jesus. And thirdly, fearless parents put loving God first in their own lives. Um, Jairus, synagogue ruler, he would have known the the Old Testament inside and out. He would have known these verses that um, are spoken in Deuteronomy. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. And then verse 13, fear the Lord your God, serve him only, and take your oaths in his name. So what's it saying? Love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. Put them, his commandments, i.e. loving God and loving others, in your heart. Share him and his ways with your children. Where should you do this? When you sit at home, when you walk on the road, when you lie down, when you wake up. In my words, everywhere and at every time possible. Fear the Lord, so don't fear other things. Don't make idols of them. Don't give in to the lies the enemy speaks. We're coming into land. Me and Emma just got a few more things to talk about. But don't children follow examples? You see that? They're such copycats. Caleb, I took him to the cricket last year, and we saw England play Sri Lanka. We got him a little bat, and he comes home, and he gets his little bat, and he goes (coughs) on the floor, because that's what they do on the telly, don't they? That's what I do when I go up to bat. Tap, tap, tap before you receive a ball. Copycat Caleb. And then just this morning, I I went to get changed um, in one of the... the cloakrooms um, in the PE corridor. And it's horrible. It's clothes everywhere. There's, it's just like a classic PE changing room. And Lydia was with me. And I kind of um, got rid of my T-shirt and got my shirt on. I got rid of my shorts and got my trousers on. And then I saw Lydia doing the same thing. But she didn't have a spare pair of clothes to get changed into. She just started picking up these grossy pieces of PE clothing. Kids copy, don't they? And... 
they see, if they see us demonstrating a life which relies on God, then they're going to copy that. They're watching our every move. So parents, are you vulnerable in front of your children? Is that something that they're seeing? Vulnerability. Do they see you apologize maybe to your spouse or to them? Are they, are they copy, able to copy a life where we are able to apologize and say sorry? Are they kind of, can they copy the loving kindness that you have toward people in your home? We are really keen as a church to learn together with this. And so we are, Emma and I are going to run a parenting course in the new year. We're going to start on Wednesday the 25th of January. And we are inviting an expert. She's a published author. She's got a, she's pretty famous apparently. She's called Rachel Turner. And Rachel um, has written a book called Parenting Children for a Life of Faith. And she's going to come and start our course and help us as parents or as people who really want to help us as, as families lead our children to Jesus. Um, she's going to help us kickstart the course. And there will be loads of practical details that we've not been able to cover now that we can talk about then. We can reflect together, we can appreciate the differences and the challenges, but we can ultimately point our children to knowing God and to how to lead them to Jesus. It will be less of a course on behaviours and disciplines. It will be more of a course on spiritual formation and getting our children knowing who God is. Um, and I'm, I'm thrilled we can do it. Every Wednesday night for six weeks from the 25th, of January, and there'll be loads of information on the city if it's not that yet there already in the coming weeks. Emma. So we want to be clear that the main responsibility of raising children to follow God does lie with the parent. However, we weren't made to parent in isolation, and we believe God has given us a community in which to parent. And there are some children that are going to be in our church that won't be living in Christian families. So how can we together, as a whole church, take some responsibility for the spiritual growth of our children in the church, whether we're parents or not? In South Gathering, we've been blessed with around 63 children. But it's very easy to see the children as an add-on rather than a valid part of our family. And sometimes we even just see them as a logistical problem of how are we going to care for them all while we're in here learning about God. Many of our children don't yet know God. And we have the exciting opportunity to help them discover him and all that he has done for them. And many of our children do have a relationship with God and a faith. And we have got so much that we can learn from them. Once a month, our oldest children, the Lift Up group, join us in the service. And I have been guilty in the past of sometimes when I see the children in, my attitude being, mm, children are in today, hope they're quiet, hope they don't distract anyone from hearing the word of the Lord. And at the end of the service, thinking, didn't they do well? Weren't they nice and well-behaved in the service? And I catch myself, and I think, is that what I want for our children? To raise nice, quiet children who will sit through a service. I've had to repent of this, and when our children join us, I want to see this as an opportunity for our children to meet with God, to experience him, to hear his voice, and have passionate worship modelled to them by us. I want my prayers when I see them in the service to be, God, please reveal yourself to them. 
And I can play my part in that. When I see a child sitting near me, I can ask, God, is there anything that you want to say to that child today? Because how often do we ask God for prophetic words for individual children? Are we quick to assume that God won't have anything to say to them? As with any prophetic word, we need to be sensitive in how we tell them about it. To have a parent or a member of the kids' work team to be present. Are we giving our children opportunities to bring prophetic words to us? To pray for us? To pray for healing? I really believe that God can use our children to bless us. But it's also so important to give our children real, tangible experiences of God that, that will help grow and sustain them in their faith. And so to close, we ask you to pray. We ask you to pray for our children. Pray that they would know God more. Pray that they would go into their nurseries and schools and take the love of God with them. Pray that they would have a massive impact on their teachers and their classmates. Pray that they would be prophets, teachers and evangelists, not just in the future, but here today. Pray for them in a world where, um, that worships money, sex and power rather than God. And pray that as a church we will raise sons together who are courageous, faithful, humble, have integrity and treat women with kindness. Pray that together we can raise daughters who are strong, confident, compassionate and look to God for their self-worth rather than their appearance or the opposite sex. And pray for our parents that they would continually bring their fears and anxieties to God and that they would point their children to him so they would grow to know, them, know him themselves. And I'll invite the band back. I'm going to respond in worship. And we'll get a chance to take communion together shortly. And I um, just want to remind you of that story we looked at of Jairus. He comes to Jesus with a, in desperation. And Jesus hears. He stops what he t- is doing. And he makes Jairus his priority. And this morning as we worship, you've got a chance to do that. Whatever it is. Parenting or not parenting related. Secondly, if you um, are this morning are a parent and you want to commit yourself again to, to before God to say, oh, I want my children to know God and I, I want to, to point them to, to him, you can ask this morning for strength, ask for people to pray for you, be filled with the Spirit so that you may be a parent. And for those of you who are in the church who are not parents or not yet parents, we want to do this together. And I love it that as we finish, we get to worship together. And so, please, I want to lead you to Jesus, to the, the awesome God who hears and the awesome God who speaks into our fear. Do you stand with me?